Welcome back. Thursday, October 27th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. Let me give you the number, 602-508-0960, if you'd like to call or weigh in on anything. Tyranny, sir. The use of tyranny in American political life. That's what Dustin Hoffman, playing the character Babe Levy, responded with in the 1974 movie Marathon Man. He responded to his graduate school professor with that answer when asked on what topic he planned to write his dissertation. If you have heard me out over the past few days, this issue has been much on my mind, especially in light of the documentary on Joe McCarthy I've also been, not uncoincidentally, talking about. The professor in Marathon Man and Levy then go back and forth with what issue of tyranny in American political life Dustin Hoffman or Levy would write on, citing several different possibilities culminating in Joe McCarthy. McCarthy McCarthy was, of course, known as the Great Red Hunter, not because, of course, Joe McCarthy was great, he was a louse, but that communism was big. Then, after the condign statements in the movie Marathon Man about how destructing the anti-communist Joe McCarthy was, how destructing and destructive he was, the rest of the movie is about Nazis in America trying to hunt down Levy and his brother. Tyranny in America. If communist, the problem is the opposition to it. If any other kind, i.e. perceptively right-wing Nazism, emphasis on perceptibly, we can't go after it strongly and ardently enough, right? This anti-McCarthyism or anti-anti-communism was summed up nicely by Irving Kristol once, when during the hearings of the 1950s he wrote, quote, For there is one thing that the American people know about Senator McCarthy if they know anything. He, like them, is unequivocally anti-communist. About the spokesman for American liberalism, they feel they know no such thing, and with some justification, close quote. You see, when it came to tyranny in America, there was really only one kind that we were all supposed to hate, the tyranny of violated civil liberties in the name of or for the justification of fighting anti-communism. Let me repeat that. Not anti-communism, anti-anti-communism or fighting anti-communism. About liberals, Americans knew they hated McCarthy. They could not tell if they hated communism, which brings me to today. We know liberals are unhappy with and do not like conservatives. It even borders on if they like moderates. We know leftists hate Donald Trump and his supporters. We do not know if they hate socialism or communism. To put it in Crystal's cadence... There is one thing that the American people know about conservatives. They stand unequivocally athwart socialism and communism. About the spokesman for liberalism, they know no such thing. After all, you will not see Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden condemn the Black Lives Matter or Antifa riots. And do remember, the Black Lives Matter movement was founded by two self-proclaimed trained Marxists. Indeed, you had the press labeling the riots mostly peaceful. 
You had Kamala Harris raising money to bail the rioters out of jail. And you have the Democratic Party housing dozens and dozens and dozens of avowed socialists in its ranks from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles, even endowing them in their elections from the Democratic Party coffers over and against self-proclaimed moderates in the Democratic Party that challenged them in primaries. But tyranny can, sad to say, indeed come to America, and its governing process or ethos is totalitarianism. And totalitarianism is not monopolized by fascism or Nazism. In fact, it shares the market, the larger part of the market, with Marxism. I was thinking about that as I was reading a piece in Tablet Magazine by a professor from Belgium today. His piece was titled COVID-19 and the Psychology of Totalitarianism. In that piece, this professor, Matthias Desmet, writes, quote, Man has always fallen prey to temptations, the illusion of rational understanding and control, the resistance to question oneself critically as a human, the pursuit of short-term convenience. Within the religious discourse, these temptations were considered dangerous, but that changed with the rise of mechanistic thinking. From then on, they became anchored in the dominant narrative, which also became justification for such temptation. Leaders and followers were captivated by the limitless possibilities the human mind seemed to offer, the evolution toward a hyper-controlled technological society. The surveillance society is unavoidable as long as the human mind remains trapped in that logic and is controlled by those attractors. It is this ideology that redesigned society, created new institutions, and selected new authority figures, close quote. So all that had me brushing off the first major study of totalitarianism, which was Hannah Arendt's and her book on the topic by the same name. What is important to realize here, if it isn't evident already, totalitarianism is not just a right-wing thing. In fact, if anything, it's more left-wing than right-wing. And Aaron's book is as much, if not more so, about communism as it is on the other thing, fascism, which is interesting as she herself escaped Germany. In any event, in her book, she writes, quote, totalitarianism can be traced to the perpetual motion mania of totalitarian movements, which can remain in power only so long as they keep moving and set everything around them in motion, close quote. I froze on that line, as nothing better represents my concern about the crisis industrial complex, which is based on keeping us in a frenzy. If I can repeat her quote from her book, totalitarianism can be traced to the perpetual motion mania of totalitarian movements, which remain in power only so long as they keep moving and set everything around them in motion. Perpetual motion, mania, keep moving. The crisis can never stop as the permanent revolution must always keep us in kinetic movement. From this crisis to that, with no rest ever. Recall what Calvin Coolidge, perhaps the most schooled conservative president we had since Lincoln, consider what he said about our founding. He said there was something permanent and restful about it. He put it this way on the 150th anniversary of our founding, quote, about our founding is a finality that is exceedingly restful. 
It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. May I insert parenthetically, he was addressing Woodrow Wilson here. Back to what he said, Coolidge. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter, the Declaration of Independence. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If government their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward but backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the revolutionary fathers, close quote. And so you see here the counterpoise, equality and freedom, restful, peaceful, or totalitarianism, crisis-oriented, frenzied, mania, constant motion. All the better to lose thought and focus, right? The permanent revolution is the phrase that keeps coming back to me. That is, not just motion, not just motion, but perpetual motion. What most people want, however, I think, is peace and ease of mind. What the leadership and rump of the Democratic Party have given us is anxiety, frenzy, and not easy, but hard and difficult. Why is it the more advanced do we get two retrograde things that are more true today than before, even though we are more advanced? Life is harder than it was a few years back, and age expectancy has declined. Life expectancy in America has declined, along with education progress. Consider that. As we have advanced scientifically and theoretically economically and with more knowledge available and accessible to us than ever before, why is life harder, expecting life expectancy on the decline, and educational performance worse? Well, one thing you and we cannot focus, because everything is always a crisis and everything is always an existential threat and everything is always an emergency. The other is... We took the focus off teaching and used education not for the development of the soul and the intellect, but for social engineering and re-engineering. And we went to war against financial achievement and earned success. And of course, there's the drug thing, too. As Reinhold Niebuhr once put it, human desires increase with their means of gratification. In any event, that is all. Everything I just said It's all Marxism, from the war against financial achievement and earned success to the social engineering of children through the public education system to the permanent state of agitation or frenzy or permanent revolution, as the old man calls it. How did the old man Marx define the permanent revolution? Quote, the interest and task to make the revolution permanent until all the more or less propertied classes have been driven from their ruling positions, until the proletariat has conquered state power, and until the association of the proletarians has progressed sufficiently far, close quote. In other words, indeterminate. And so any engine of effort will do so as long as it never stops. The torment 
shall never end. There must always be fundamental transformation. The rest, the ease, the quiet cannot abide. Heck, think about why 1776 was replaced with 1619 when 1776 was supposed to be permanent and restful. And today, from Nancy Pelosi to Jimmy Carter, we read things like a vote for Republicans is a vote against democracy. Not a vote against Democrats, large D, a vote against Republicans, but against democracy, small d. This is a mark of totalitarianism, too. The marginalization and anathematizing of political opposition, especially by implanting paranoia all over it. The removing from any level of equal playing field the opposing party. Stalin, after all, as much as Hitler, taught that lesson as well. Hence the 1933 German law banning other political parties. Hence Stalin's great purge to eliminate, to eliminate vestiges of Trotskyism and alternative parties in the USSR. When Joe Biden says you need to vote for Democrats to save democracy, or Jimmy Carter and Nancy Pelosi tell you if you vote for Republicans you are voting against democracy, or if you don't this w- vote for this, it's, if you don't vote this way you will have Jim Crow 2.0, or if you are a Republican, you are a fascist or a semi-fascist, know what lineage that all comes from and think yes totalitarianism. The beginnings are there. We saw it during BLM 2020 riots and COVID, and we see it in the January 6th hearings and what they are weaponized for. And you see it with the Department of Justice going after school board meeting attendees, labeling them as domestic terrorists. And you see it in the fight and the fights over our curriculum. And you see it in the memory holding and midnight web scrubbings of public health directives on government websites during COVID. They will do all this and they will change language and the definition of things. They will rename schools and institutions, and they will tear down statues, and they will use everything in their power to achieve total control. Keep that in mind. Let me close this with something from James Madison. A popular government without popular information or the means of acquiring it is but a prologue to farce and tragedy. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. The stock market has lost nearly 20% since the beginning of the year, and most of us can't afford to lose any more. We can't afford to live on 20% less in retirement, right? Inflation also continues to devalue your money. If you want to stop the bleeding, consider converting some of your investment opportunities or investment money into gold and other precious metals with the only gold company I recommend, the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. It's the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka. I and thousands of you already know. Economists tell us that the downturn on Wall Street is not over and there can be even greater losses. You could, in other words, lose even more of your savings. But gold traditionally holds its value, protecting your investment savings and wealth. Give the Midas Gold Group a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480 480- 
360-3000, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, and tell them I sent you. Glenn is in Glendale. Hello, Glenn. Hey, Seth. So I've got a question for you, and I'm going to give you my perspective, and I'll give you the question. I have a book, and I read, I read it a couple times. I don't know if you've read it, but the book is called Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian Worldview, and it's a book on worldview, and it's a pretty much it's like a it's an overview of the Third Reich. And so in this book, I learned some things I'd never learned or heard about, even in college or in high school, history or anything, and that the Third Reich had did a lot of experimentation on people and children akin to what's going on in America today, gender reassignment surgeries and, and the like. Um, they even had surgeries where they try to inseminate women with like orangutan and a gorilla, trying to come up with like a hybrid. But long story, there were experimentation. So I have a theory. I wanted to get your take on it. There's a scripture in the Old Testament. I believe it's in the Psalms, and it says something to the effect of you should be able to look at God's creation and tell there's a God, the, the flowers, the, whatever it might be, his, his creation. So I have a theory about the people that take out and what's going on in America today. And I think it kind of ties to what's going on with the gender reassignment surgeries and the whole lack of science or critical science, uh, critical thinking. It's the, the theory that I have is that people, secularists, when they go when they go about to do these experimentations, the notion that you're going to change a person's sex is ridiculous. They don't change a person's chromosome. The DNA doesn't change. We, we pretty much play uh, Mr. Potato Head with the human being body parts. You know, we're adding body parts, we're taking body parts off. So my theory is this, that they know darn well they can't change sex. They can't change chromosomes. The DNA doesn't change. But it's a way of almost mocking God, slapping God, a backhand at God. They know they're not going to change anything. They're no, no. They're not going to. These experimentations are kind of futile. But it's a, it's a, it's a secular sort of way of ridicule, mocking, or kind of backslap towards God. What do you say, sir? I wanted to get your take. Sure. Thanks, Glenn. That's a lot, and I got to take a quick break. You want to sit through uh, the commercial and pick up with me yeah. on that when we come back, so we can give it its full hair- airing. Is that okay? I will. Do. All right. I am Seth Liebson. He is Glenn in Glendale. We'll pick up on this notion, the use and abuse of children and um, its uh, ugly legacy. Uh, We'll pick up on that and anything else on your mind when we come back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Glenn is in Glendale. Are you still there, Glenn? Yes, sir. Thanks. Uh, let me uh, let me try and recap for anyone who's just joining and missed missed what you were talking about right before we went to the break in the previous segment. You correct me if I misstate what you were saying, but you were talking about a book you were reading on 1930s Germany and uh, the prevalence of, uh, of course, uh, medical experimentation in all kinds of weird eugenicist ways, but also on children and uh, why we might not want to be more concerned about various analogs of that happening or taking place here. Some, something close to that? Is that a fair summary of what you were saying? Yes, sir. The, uh, the, the, the notion that, I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you read a whole lot about the Nazi Germans. They were very secular in their perspectives and in their, 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 um, their I guess, ideology, their, their theology, per se, their, their lack thereof of believing in God. But it's, it's I, I said, I use, and I've had people when they say, well, Johnny, I'll just use Johnny as an example, got a sex change. And you talked about earlier about changing the nomenclature and, right. and it's sort of basically that 
how they've changed terms over right. the time, right. over 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 the years, and th- even that right there, a person's sex doesn't change. The chromosome DNA doesn't right. change. We change body parts. We play, you know, basically hum- uh, Mr. Potato Head with the humans. But the fact that they would even think that doing these things could change a sex, uh, right. a person's sex, the right. DNA, and all that. Right. They th- they thought, okay, yeah, I, I yes, thank you, Glenn. They um, look. There's a few uncomfortable things here. One of them is the eugenics movement uh, that Germany became so well known for in the 30s. There's an uncomfortable aspect to that. I don't know if the book you're talking about gets into it, but a lot of that didn't just originate in Germany. Um, In fact, many of the Germans, including Adolf Hitler himself, were fascinated by what the eugenics movement in America was doing prior to 1930s. Um, There was there was a very large eugenics movement in America. Uh, Hollywood even made movies on the potentials of, you know, creating master races. There's a famous I don't know how many famous Supreme Court justices there are, maybe maybe known by non-lawyers, maybe five, maybe six in our history. One of them is Oliver Wendell Holmes. I think most people, even if they didn't go to law school, have heard that name, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., He was uh, one of the most famous uh, Supreme Court justices. And in a 1926 or 7 case, interesting decade that, 1926 or 27, the case I don't have in front of me was called Buck v. Bell. And it had to do with a uh, young woman who uh, who was in the state of Virginia being compelled to have her tubes tied. And being so compelled because she was deemed mentally um, challenged, compromised, uh, what we would today call with great intellectual disability. And Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. upheld that compulsory tying of those tubes with a line that will live forever in infamy in our Supreme Court's history. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. That's what he wrote because he was basing it on her family. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Go ahead and stop the reproduction in that bloodline is basically what Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., a very famous Supreme Court justice, was talking about. So, yes, obviously Germany engaged in something to a fare thee well uh, beyond beyond the the, the the asterisks and 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 the um, beyond the footnotes of where it took place in America, but it has taken place in America, and we can't brush that history aside, and we can't brush the history aside that the experimentation on children is not only one of the most noxious things, but most one of the most replicated things. We tend to do it again and again and again and again, and throughout COVID. Uh, and the school shutdowns and throughout the shaming of children and throughout the torturing of children for a disease that would not um, really affect them. Uh, think about this. One one thousandth of a percent in three years, almost three years of covid, one one thousandth of a percent of children uh, were 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 um, succumbed to covid. And as uh, Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins said, each and every one of them would have had comorbidities. But one one thousandth is what we upended society about and tortured our children's mental capacities and educational abilities with. I have so much more to say about this. Um, Let me go to the break with this thought. Um, 
it was a condemnation, a quote you may also know, Glenn, uh, about the French Revolution. That it was said that every revolution, um, every revolution eats itself. Every revolution ends up consuming itself. The full quote is like Saturn, every revolution consumes itself. The god Saturn ate his children. Why did he eat his children? He ate his children because he was afraid of them. A society that fears its children is a sick society. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I want to say something else about Glenn's call and uh, the use and abuse of children. Um, here, um, particularly throughout COVID. And um, I'm going to talk about, by the way, I'm going to have Bethany Mandel join us uh, in the third hour uh, on her column in the Deseret News. Deseret News. I think it's Deseret. Deseret News. Someone help me out on that. One, Someone in this audience knows better. I always get tripped up on that. Is it Deseret or Deseret? I think it's Deseret. I think it's Deseret. I think it's Deseret News. It's uh, another name for Utah. In any event, um, she's going to talk to us about COVID pandemic children and educational outcomes. But a lot of us were saying this, Glenn, um, that the the dramatic irony of that awful experience in uh, using children to soothe adult anxieties, uh, using and abusing them uh, throughout uh, 2020 and 2021, uh, and now perhaps, again, with what the CDC is doing uh, with its VAC schedules and what, what localities may do with that, the use and abuse of children for a disease that was not going to affect them, um, b- but but we told them and panicked them and scared them it was going to affect, um, affect their parents and their grandparents. Um, we set children against one another. We deprived them not just of learning but of all social activities, parks were closed, after-school activities shut down, all of it, sending them back to, well, what was the one thing so many of us in socialization of children were concerned about? Screen time, too much time on screens. So what did we do? We gave them more screen time. At every level, we misbehaved on this one. By we, I don't mean me and you, but society that went along with it. And one of the things we observed early on an op-ed Bill Bennett and I did, I remember very early on at Fox News, had to have been April of 2020, a month into this thing. Um, We made the point that um, I haven't heard a lot of people make, but they will recognize it immediately as, as, as intuitive. When we try and change a law or make a reform for the betterment of society, often the phrase will be, um, we're doing it to protect our children or we're doing it for the safety of our children uh, or we're doing it for the lesson it can give our children. We did the exact opposite during COVID. We did the exact opposite. We abused and misused our children for the sake of adults to soothe the uh, frenetic anxieties of adults. And that's a perversion. It's more than a disorientation. It's a perversion. And your point about Glenn, the Bible um, or religion and respect for children. I think you were quoting a, a, a psalmist on the uh, King David, the psalmist on the children. You know, um, there is something still intuitively good about a society that cares more for its children than its others. We we make criminal penalties worse, don't we? 
when they are uh, crimes against children. We um, intuitively and rationally react emotionally when we hear a child crying or screaming in a public place, you know, not you know, the normal tantrum or whatever they may do at home, although it might be a normal tantrum in a public place. And we will turn our heads for that, too. There is something about a child's cry or scream that the natural law and the human condition initially wants to uh, protect or embrace, isn't there? You asked why. How did you put it? You asked what kind of what kind of theology allows us to experiment on children? Um, yeah, it's 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 the very theology that you had your finger just about on the button of. Um, it's in Genesis. Whitaker Chambers talks about this in his uh, book Witness. Whitaker Chambers was uh, perhaps the most famous. I think, think I'm right in saying this, the most famous ex-communist of his time, which would have been the 50s and 60s. He, uh, he, uh, he, he and Richard Nixon uh, put, um, uh, put Alger Hiss on the spot, Alger Hiss representing the high echelons of communism in the Franklin Roosevelt administration. If that name is unfamiliar to you but rings the slightest of bells, I don't know if he still does this, but Hugh Hewitt used to ask first-time guests, um, was Alger Hiss guilty or innocent? Because the right answer is guilty. The right answer is guilty. Anyway, the contest was between Chambers and Hiss, and Chambers wrote one of the most uh, prolific and beautiful, if not poetic, books of the 20th century, and it was called Witness. And he asked where this Marxist notion comes from, where this this notion that we can re-engineer uh, natural law and society. You gave examples having to do with uh, sex change and that sort of thing, Glenn. Where does it come from? Well, it's the second, Whitaker Chambers put it this way, it's the second oldest faith in the world. We shall be as gods. We shall be as gods. That's what the serpent tells Eve, right? You can be as God. Um, and, and, and the notion, this is, this is a pretty big and deep uh, conversation, but the notion of natural law is the notion upon which this country was founded upon. What Calvin Coolidge was talking about that I mentioned in my monologue, that once we declared all men are created equal by by dint of the laws of nature and nature's God and entitled to certain self-evident truths, like uh, it is a self-evident truth that all men are created equal and thus from there endowed with 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 inalienable rights like li- life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, based on the laws of nature and nature's God, understand what's being said there. Critically important. It's the exact opposite of Marxism and Nazism. It's the exact opposite of we shall be as gods. We are saying there are three tiers, basically. There is God, call it nature or the laws of nature, or nature's God if you want, call it whatever you want, but there's the notion of God, there's the notion of men, all men are created equal, meaning effectively in their inequality before God. But also, there's this third tier, animal. 
Man is higher than animal, lower than God, a little lower than the angels, uh, the, 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 other, the other psalm reads, doesn't it? So once you confuse this hierarchy of where man is and what his abilities can write and by right uh, exert, you end up at what is Western civilization. But you can corrupt it. You can have men acting as gods, and when they do... They treat fellow men as animals, don't they? That's the message of our founding. That's why it needs to be protected and nurtured, and the abuse of children needs to stop. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, I want to get into the media and their responsibility a little bit in uh, in in uh, in a few moments, perhaps at the top of the next hour, I also want to pose a question to you all you might want to think about over the course of the uh, top of the hour news break. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about with just a touch of the media, Joe Biden said today um, that the most common price of gas in America is three thirty nine down from over $5 when he took office. I'll just read you the quote. Today, the most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. Uh, when's the last time any of you saw 3.39 gas? I'm looking, most people use the uh, AAA uh, uh, gas price website um, for the answer to gas prices. They, it, you would think AAA would know, and they do. And you can look at it. Um, Boy, uh, you're not you're not seeing three thirty nine uh, in Arizona. It looks like uh, four thirty two is about the lowest. Bill, do you remember paying less than four thirty two recently in California? It's five sixty four in Nevada. It's five and a penny. Oregon, it's uh, a, it's just a little a little better than five and a penny. In Washington State, it's four ninety eight. Um, and and I you just you know you just in Illinois it's four 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 dollars eighteen cents. I mean, the question is not only does he believe this, does he believe this, or is he just spouting things? And if he does believe it and he knows it's not true, what does that say about him? The question is, what's worse actually? If he knows and is distorting. Or if he doesn't know and he's distorting. What is worse? Uh, in a president of the United States, I would say if he doesn't know and he's just spouting, that might be worse. That might be worse. I know it may not be willful and it's not as culpable to the regular human being. You don't usually hold someone responsible for what they what they don't know unless they commit a crime. You know, um, ignorance of the law is, is no is is no defense. But if you are the president of the United States and you are unaware, actually just, you know, John Fetterman in a higher office, that's worse. That's much worse. Okay, so the question um, I'd like to hear from you uh, when we come back. Everywhere I go, it's the economy, it's the economy, it's the economy. If I hear one more person explain the Jim Carville thesis to me, I'm going to wretch. But it is economy, according to every poll and everyone I talk to. Is that right? Are you voting in November 8th on the economy or is it something else? A package of things? The economy can be included, of course. If it is the economy, tell me that. 
Or is it other things? Is it schools? Is it education? Is it accountability? Is it the Department of Justice? Any number of things. 602-508-0960. 602-5080-960. I want to hear from you.